just a, a fun little way to honor our mothers and uh, the ladies in our lives. And then I want to read this as, as, a, as a tribute uh, to, to, uh, for Mother's Day. To those who gave birth this year to their first child, we celebrate with you. To those who have lost a child, we mourn with you. To those who are in trenches with little ones every day and wear the badge of food stains, we appreciate you. To those who have experienced loss through miscarriage, failed adoptions, or running away, we mourn with you. To those who walk the hard path of infertility, fraught with pokes, prods, tears, and disappointment, we walk with you. Forgive us when we say foolish things. We don't mean to make this harder than it is. To those who are foster moms, mentor moms, and spiritual moms, we need you. To those who have warm and close relationships with your children, we celebrate with you. To those who have disappointment, heartache, and distance with your children, we sit with you. To those who lost their mothers this year, we grieve with you. To those who experienced abuse at the hands of your own mother, we acknowledge your experience. To those who lived through driving tests, medical tests, and the overall testing of motherhood, we are better for having you in our midst. To those who will have emptier nests in the upcoming year, we grieve and rejoice with you. And to those who are pregnant with new life, both expected and surprising, we anticipate with you. This Mother's Day, we walk with you. Mothering is not for the faint of heart, and we have real warriors in our midst. We remember you. Let's pray. Father, we do celebrate today. First and foremost, we come to this place to worship you and to celebrate the life that you have given us, the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that he brings. But Lord, on this day in particular of the year, we celebrate mothers. Lord, they are a gift from you. They are your instrument to bring salvation to their children, to nurture, to grow. And Lord, no mother is perfect, and no child is perfect. No, no situation is perfect. Rarely is the outcome anything like we may have imagined. But God, on this Mother's Day, we give all of our parenting, all of our parents, and all of our children to you. And say, God, they're yours. We are no longer in charge, and we're no longer in control. But God, you take over. Lord, you are a God of grace, a God of, of forgiveness. The past no longer matters. Lord, we look to the future and what you're going to do in our families, knowing that you are a great God who heals and restores and works miracles. So Lord, we thank you on this Mother's Day for our mothers. We thank you for the gift that they are to us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Jeremiah. Now, we're going to be all over Jeremiah, so just you know, get to the first page and hold up. Um, you know, I told you last week what we were going to be, was going to be preaching on this week or this month, and this week was supposed to be Moses, but I got to looking at Moses, and you know, honestly, it, it just wasn't... Well, it wasn't doom and gloom enough. You know, I, 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 this week I put on the computer on Facebook, um, I said, uh, wow, that Jeremiah, kind of a downer, huh? He is. Man, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. 
Uh, we even have a word today in, in our language that if somebody gets up and just moans and groans as, uh, as a, a, an entire speech, we call it a Jeremiah. I mean, that's what it means. It's just, you know, sad and, and, and wow. And come on, Jeremiah, smile. You know, that's what you want to tell him. We're preaching, we're looking at failures this week. Because remember what we said last week, we, we, we know God's called us. We know that he'll provide. We know what our priorities are in life as individuals and as a church. And then last week we looked at the fact that there will be trials. We saw with Joseph, trial after trial after trial, that at any point Joseph could have said, enough. But remember, he remembered the vision he remembered the dream, and he knew when the time came, 23, 20 years later, that everything that happened, every trial was getting into that point. Well, not only as, as Christians, as a church on fire, on mission with God, are we going to have trials, we are going to have failures. And I looked at Moses, and you know, 10 times he went in front of Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, okay, no. Ten times. Ten times he failed. But we kind of had a cheat sheet on that one. We knew that, that God was going to do that. God made it clear. He's, he's going to say no, but it, it, it's all right. I'm doing it so I can show my power. And each time, each plague was one more defeat of the gods of Egypt. And, and proof of the power of Yahweh. So he did it for a purpose, and we knew it was coming, and he succeeded. They left. They're not so much with Jeremiah. See, this is Jeremiah. Uh, he's a loser. Uh, this is a painting by Rembrandt. This is Jeremiah weeping over Israel. This is what we know of Jeremiah for. I mean, if we think of anything, we think of the weeping, the, the fact that he cried. We could have looked at anybody. We could have looked at Moses. Uh, we could have looked at any number of failures. Jacob and his inability to raise his boys the way he should. Uh, Moses and his failures. Most of the judges. Jesus. And you're going, wait a minute, Michael. J Jesus? Remember, they thought he was going to be a political leader. For the disciples, the cross was a failure. Until three days later, and they go, oh, that's right. But as far as what the world expected, Jesus was a failure. Peter, on the water, he looked away. He denied Jesus three times. He, when Jesus said, I'm going to be crucified, oh, no, you're not. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. That's a little bit of a failure to be called Satan by the Son of God. Paul went to Athens, not so much. I mean, he had some great things, but he didn't, he, he didn't always get it right. His life as a, as a Pharisee, he would have definitely called a failure. But in all these cases, we have ultimate success. We know why Jesus went to the cross, for example. We know that the victory was at the cross. The cross wasn't defeat. The cross was victory. Not so with Jeremiah. There's never, at the end of Jeremiah, there's not this, but wait, and Jeremiah lived happily ever after. No, if, if you want to know the truth, he got abducted and drug off to Egypt after Israel, after Judah fell to the Babylonians. But I get ahead of myself. There's no happy ending. 
So how was Jeremiah a failure? And, and, and let's, let's say this at the beginning. This is going to be, this, this is why I wanted Shelter in the Time of Storm to be the, the song right before the sermon. I wanted that upbeat, exciting song so I could just pound you with the depressing stuff right after. Um, I thought it would be a good, you know, a good comparison for you. So we know that Jesus is a shelter in the time of storm. We know that God is our shelter. We know that God is our mighty fortress, just like Martin Luther wrote. We know that we worship a, a majestic God who protects us and cares for us. We know that if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil. We know that our God is a strong tower and the righteous run into it. We know all of these things, and yet God put in the Bible some 60, 56, I think, chapters, 54, 55, something along there, of failure after failure after failure after failure. Why? Why would God tell us that? Why was it important for God to understand failure? Well, I think we'll see. So how was Jeremiah a failure? We're not going to cover the whole book. And everybody said? We're just going to look at a few spots. Um, and understand something about the book of Jeremiah. It's not chronological. It's collected. And stuff was kind of stuck here and there. For whatever reason, that is the way God chose to put it together and preserve it over a few thousand years. So we're okay with that. We just need to know that going in. So we're going to be skipping back and forth. We're going to start at the beginning and go and go and go. So we're going to be skipping around. Turn to chapter 16 if you'd like. It'll be up here on the screen too since we're going to be doing a lot of skipping. Jeremiah chapter 16, 1 through 4. First way Jeremiah was a failure, he was forbidden to marry. Now for me, that's a failure. I, I kind of like being married. Wanted to be my whole life. We have all know marriages that for whatever reason didn't work out. But let's look at uh, chapter 16, 1 through 4. The word of the Lord came to me, you must not marry or have sons or daughters in this place. For this is what the Lord says concerning sons and daughters born in this place, as well as concerning the mothers who bear them and the fathers who father them in this land. They will die from deadly diseases. They will not be mourned or buried, but will be like manure on the face of the earth. They will be finished off by sword and famine. Their corpses will become food for the birds of the sky and for the wild animals of the land. That would be incentive to not get married. I, would, I will agree with that. Um... But that's not why Jeremiah was told not to get married. He was told to not get married as an example, as a symbol to the people of Judah to say, don't take part in what, in the grand scheme of what's going to happen, is trivial. Now this is a big deal, not, let me back up, not the marriage is trivial, but in the grand scheme of what was happening to Judah at this time, the Babylonians were breathing down their necks king after king, except for Josiah, had been complete and utter failures in following God. Judah was as apostate as it could be. They were as far away from God as they could possibly be. And Judah's, uh, Jeremiah's job was to say, come back to the Lord. Come back. And nobody wanted to hear it. Jeremiah, shut up. 
is basically what they were told. He was told over and over and over again in some very harsh ways. So God tells him, don't get married. It's going to be a symbol to what's happening in Judah. They're going to, you're not going to have kids. You're not going to have family. You're not going to have joy in life. See, life was a failure, and it was especially a failure at this time because bachelorhood wasn't celebrated in those days. That wasn't a, a great thing. If, if you saw somebody who wasn't married, that, you know, there, there was, they were lacking blessings. You know, read the Old Testament. Read how children are a blessing from the Lord and arrows in your quiver, etc., etc. You know, it was a big deal. Proverbs 31 that we saw some verses this morning. It was encouraged. And here Jeremiah is told, do not marry. And he could have told the people, I was told not to marry. Ha, ha, ha. They didn't believe him anyway, no matter what he said. So that didn't make a difference. In the eyes of the people, because he didn't marry, he was a failure. Well, how else? Let's see. Next, he was subject of a murder plot. Jeremiah 26, 8 through 9 tells us that says, he finished the address the Lord had commanded him deliver, to deliver to all the people. Then the priests, the prophets, and all the people took hold of him, yelling, you must surely die. And then they went to work and figuring out how to do it. Um, he didn't get the most popular vote that day. Uh, and, you know, kind of a warning to me, this was in response to his preaching. I don't think it was too long. I don't think that was the reason they said he should die. Um though there may have been some that, that thought that. But what he's getting at here, what the people don't like, is what he said. Because he tells them, to begin with, that in this, this sermon, the, the, the thing he was telling them, was that the temple's going to be destroyed, y'all. Just like Shiloh, where the, the, the uh, Ark of the Covenant had been in the past, it's, it's going to... You, you put your faith here in this building. You say God will never take Jerusalem because he, he promised to David. He put the temple here. He put the ark here. It's not going to happen. And Jeremiah says, yeah, it is. You've got people that are lying to you telling, things are, you, telling you things are good when they're bad. The temple will be destroyed. Judah will be no more. And they didn't like his preaching. So they plotted to kill him. That's the definition of a failure. Uh, how else? He was restricted from the temple. Jeremiah 36, 5 through 6. Then Jeremiah commanded Baruch. Baruch was his secretary, good friend, one of the only guys that liked him, one of about a handful. He tells Baruch, I am restricted. I cannot enter the temple of the Lord, so you must go and read from the scroll which you wrote at my dictation, the words of the Lord and the hearing of the people at the temple of the Lord on a day of fasting. So he tells Baruch, you've got to do my job for me here. This has to be read to the people. This has to be read to the people at the temple, and I've been restricted from the temple. Um, basically, Jeremiah was kicked out of the church because of his obedience to God. God's prophet, God's man, was told, you can't come back here. The guy who was supposed to tell them the word of God got kicked out. I know it's, it's happened in churches before. Uh, well, we generally look on those guys and say, well, he must not have done a good job. Some kind of failure. 
right? Jeremiah was kicked out because of his obedience. He told the people things they didn't want to hear, and he got kicked out of the church. How was Jeremiah a failure? His hometown and his own family plotted to kill him. Jeremiah 11, 18 through 21, like I said, this is not in chronological order. Uh, we're kind of discussing it in chronological order, but in the Bible, it's not chronological. 18 through 21 says, The Lord informed me, so I knew that you helped me to see their deeds, for I was like a docile lamb led to slaughter. I didn't know what they had devised. I didn't know that they had devised plots against me. Let's destroy the tree with its fruit. Let's cut him off from the land of the living so that his name will no longer be remembered. But, Lord of hosts, who judges righteously, who tests heart and mind, let me see your vengeance on them, for I have presented my case to you. Who's he talking to? Verse 21. Therefore, here is what the Lord says concerning the people of Anathoth who want to take your life. Anathoth was his hometown. That was where he was born. His daddy was a priest, as a matter of fact, from Anathoth. And yet, his own townsfolk wanted to kill him. But skip over to 12, chapter 12, verse 6. Even your brothers, your own father's household, even they were treacherous to you. Even they have cried out loudly after you. So not only the people of his hometown, his friends, the, the guys he graduated from high school with, the folks he rode his bike around the square with, but his own brothers are in on this plot to kill him. I would dare say that Jeremiah was somewhat of a failure when your own family wants to kill you. At one point, he decided, you know, just forget it. He cursed the day of his own birth. Chapter 20, verse 14. Cursed be the day on which I was born, the day my mother bore me. Let it never be blessed. Understand, Jeremiah had some mood swings, okay? Some days he was okay. Some days, I mean, you could not get this boy out of depression. This is one of those days when he was at his lowest. Listen to the words. Cursed be the man, verse 15, who brought the news to my father, saying, A male child is born to you, bringing him great joy. Let that man be like the cities the Lord overthrew without compassion. Let him hear an outcry in the morning and a war cry at noontime, because he didn't kill me in the womb so that my mother might have been my grave, her womb eternally pregnant. Why did I come out of the womb to see only struggle and sorrow to end my life in shame. Wow. Is that our definition of success? Um, I mean, that's, that's not the general attitude we put with success. Jeremiah understood, I have failed. I am not what I was supposed to be. Last thing, he saw zero converts. I got no verse for you. Because never does it say, and Jeremiah saw no converts, but never does it record the converts. He, he had none. Nobody obeyed. He failed as a prophet. He failed as a preacher. Those very things that he was called to be, he failed at because he's got no one to change their mind, no one to change their heart, 
And then eventually, Judah was taken into exile by Babylon completely in 586 B.C. Where they came, they tore down the walls, and they shipped everyone out except for a few they left to work the ground and be farmers. And then, except for a brief period, 100 years, 150 years or so before Christ was born, and then a few revolts that didn't last very long, Israel didn't exist again until 1948. Wow, Jeremiah, great job. Wow, Jeremiah, you have not done what you were called to do. See, success is not guaranteed. Success, see, I told you it was a downer of a sermon. Everybody's going, man, shut up so we can go eat lunch. <laughs> success is not guaranteed. Jeremiah was a prophet. Read all the other prophets. And they got through to somebody. They did something. Elijah performed great miracles, called down fire from heaven on the, the altar at on Mount Carmel, and he got to slay all these prophets of Baal. Isaiah saw things, the, the sun uh, stand, go backwards in the sky, stuff like that. Isaiah was a great prophet. All the minor prophets, and they're only minor because they're short books. They all saw change. They all saw people do things. Samuel got to anoint David as king. Over and over, let's jump to the New Testament. Peter became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. James became the leader after Peter. Paul was this great missionary. All of the disciples got to travel. They were all martyred, but they saw significant gospel spread because of their, their work and their activity. Jeremiah got nothing. And yet here he is. 55 chapters of him. Oh, woe is me. Cursed be the day I was born. Weeping over Israel. Why, God? Why do you put that here? Because our success is not guaranteed. Because we may plan and we may do things and they just don't work out. We may come up with great ideas and great, we, we have great vision, but they just don't occur the way we think they should. So we're failures. No, we're not. You see, we're guaranteed not to fail. See, all I've said so far, I've said he was a failure, but I said his failure was because he did not succeed. Folks, we've got to redefine success. We want success to be people, and that's part of it. Or financial growth, and that's always fun. But you know what success is? I think you know what's coming here. Obedience is our standard of success. See, let's, let's go back over and look at Jeremiah one more time. How is Jeremiah not a failure? First of all, he was obedient. And this is the main way that Jeremiah was not a failure. And this is our focus verse for today. This is what I want you to remember. All the other stuff was just to get you down so badly. Now I want, you to, I want to bring you back up. Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 19. They will fight against you. God talking to Jeremiah. This is at his call. 
They will fight against you, but never prevail over you. Since I am with you to rescue you, this is the Lord's declaration. See, Jeremiah knew. Jeremiah understood that I have got to do what I was told. I can't marry. All right. No kids. Okay. Death threats. Okay. At one time, he was thrown in a cistern and left there for quite a while as they figured out how to, to kill him. He was rescued. He wrote this scroll. He uh, preached, basically, and Baruch wrote this scroll that they sent to the king. And the king said, oh, that's nice. Snip, 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 rip, 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 rip. Psh, I don't want to hear it. And Jeremiah said, oh, you didn't want to hear that? Here comes a longer one. And he preached a longer sermon that Baruch wrote down, and they sent to the king. Over and over and over, Jeremiah did exactly what God said and saw no results. Nothing. No converts, no change, no nothing. So how is he not a failure? Because he was obedient. He knew, verse 19, that they would fight, but they would not prevail since God was his rescue. As we move forward, as the vision of the church grows, as we see needs that need to be met, and we jump in and meet those, that our guarantee is not that we will succeed, not that we will reach a goal that, that we think we need to reach, but that we will be obedient, and that God will use that. Because look, 2,000 years later, we're reading the story of Jeremiah. That's success. When God, or when people talk about what God did in your life down the road, that's a success. Think of the people, especially those of you who have, who have been in this particular church for a number of years. Think of the people who have gone on, who have died. People that they may not have been the money in town. They may not have been movers and shakers in Nixon. They may not have been political. They were just faithful. And they were here, and they taught you in Sunday school. Maybe they taught your kids in Sunday school. They taught your grandkids in Sunday school. They served dinners, they worked in the kitchen, they cut the grass, they fixed things. I don't know. They have no worldly effect. Nixon doesn't remember them. This church does. That is success. That's obedience. I have a great aunt who uh, is in the nursing home now. Up until recently, she was in uh, uh, just an assisted living, but she's got some medical issues, and it's, it's getting pretty bad. And they put her into a swing bed. I'm still not exactly sure what that is. I don't think it swings. It sounds too much fun. 
Um, but I think it's the transition bed. I'm probably telling you all something you already know, but I have to work it over my head. It's the transition bed from the nursing home back to the assisted living facility. Don't know if she'll ever make it back to the assisted living facility. She was one of those. She taught Sunday school at State Boulevard Baptist Church in Meridian, Mississippi for 44 years. She was one of those who taught, and she taught the little kids. She was one of those that had grandchildren of people that she had taught in that Sunday school class. She taught three generations a number of times. Meridian, Mississippi will never remember her. State Boulevard Baptist Church has moved. They're now Faith Baptist Church. They're out north of town, bigger and all this stuff. But she'll be remembered at that church for years because she made some great, had some great successes. I'm sure some kids came to know Jesus because of the Sunday school class. But she'll be remembered because she was obedient. She did what God had called her to do. She's one of those who never had children. She uh, was a grandmother. She was a mother to my mom. Now, my grandparents were, you know, my mom was not an orphan or anything. But she was so close as, a, as an aunt to my mom that when we were born, we called this aunt, my great aunt, to mama. She was our second mother, or her second mother. She was our second grandmother on that side. So we called her Two Mama. I still call her Two Mama. I call her on the phone. Hey, Two Mama. Her name's Tressie Snowden. We could have called her Aunt Tressie. We're the only ones in the whole family that call her Two Mama. But that's what we call her. You can't find that card at Hallmark, by the way. <laughs> they don't have a Two Mama. She never had kids. She, her, her, her line is done. But she was obedient and she'll be remembered just like Jeremiah because he was obedient. How is Jeremiah not a failure? Well, he was right. That'll always um, help your standing. Now, the people in Judah didn't you know, rejoice that he was right by any means. But Jeremiah was right. Chapter 52 Verse 14, see the exile actually happened. Happened just like he said it was going to. 52, 4 through 7, in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the tenth day of the tenth month, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon advanced against Jerusalem with his entire army. They laid siege to the city and built a siege wall all around it. The city was under siege until Zedekiah's 11th year. By the ninth day, I'm in the wrong spot, I'm sorry. Y'all probably all wondering, where was I reading? Verse 14, the whole Chaldean army, same as Babylonians, with the commander of the guards, tore down all the walls surrounding Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, the commander of the guards, deported some of the poorest of the people, as well as the rest of the people who were left in the city, the deserters who had defected to the king of Babylon, and the rest of the craftsmen. But it goes on to say he left some of the poor people. And then skip down to verse 27. The king of Babylon put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. Just, uh, thus Judah went into exile from its land. 
the, always the, uh, the key to success is just to be right. As a matter of fact, uh, as a prophet of Israel, had Jeremiah been wrong, they could have stoned him to death. Uh, but he was never wrong. They didn't like the fact that he was right. But he was. So we label success as convincing people you're right. I don't think so. When it comes to salvation, when it comes to a church spreading the gospel, we need to tell the gospel. We need to spread. We need to evangelize. We need to go out there. And most of those people are going to, like that king did, rip up our message. I don't need that. And we will have failed, right? No. Our success is defined in our obedience and the fact that no matter how much people don't like it, when it comes to Jesus, we're right. We have the only message that will save. And, and folks don't like to hear that, but that's the message we have. He was also right about Babylon eventually going away. You don't have to go as far this time. Verse 51, I'm sorry, chapter 51, verses 54 and 55. Babylon, uh, Jeremiah told them, The sound of a cry from Babylon, the sound of great destruction from the land of the Chaldeans, for the Lord is going to devastate Babylon. He will silence her mighty voice. Their waves roar like, ter uh, like abundant waters. The tumult of their voice resounds. And he goes on and on, and you go prior and after. And he's talking about how Babylon is going to be destroyed. Uh, look for Babylon on your map now. You won't find it. As a matter of fact, uh, I don't know what I just did, but I hit a button. If you can get that back up, I'd appreciate it. Um, it was only 70 years, as a matter of fact, that until Babylon was completely destroyed. They didn't last long as a world power on the stage. Persia showed up. Thank you, sir. Uh, Persia showed up and took care of all of them. And Judah got a little reprieve. They got to go home. Nehemiah, the whole wall-building thing. They were never the power they once were. Jeremiah was right. So in that way, he wasn't a failure. And then lastly, he still gives hope. Jeremiah 29.11, a verse that we love to quote. I would challenge you to read verses 12, 13, and 14 right after that, though, before we just hang our hat too long on 2911. But the hope is there. For I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Y'all, this is the guy that just told the entire country, it's going away. Babylon's coming. They're going to take us out. As a matter of fact, he told them, surrender. It'll be better for you if surrender. If you surrender. He was called a traitor by the people, by the king, because he told them to surrender to Babylon and not fight. Because they should fight. And he said, no, it, it will go better. God is telling me to tell you to surrender. And they, they didn't listen. But in the midst of all that, in the midst of the cistern, and the, the, the curse the day of my birth, I wish her womb had been my grave, and all of that, Jeremiah quoted God 
in a way that we still just latch on to. I mean, what's one of the first verses? If the first verse we tell somebody when bad things are happening isn't that uh, Romans 8.28, all things work together for, uh, to, for the good for him, them who love or, uh, him and are called to his purpose. I'm getting my verses mixed up. If that's not the first verse we tell them, Jeremiah 29.11, I know the plans I have for you. We got that from a guy who wished he had never been born, talking to a city that's about to be destroyed. Still gives hope. No matter how bleak, no matter how unsuccessful we are, God knows the plans He has for us, not to harm us, but to prosper us. Now, we see prosper and we think dollar signs. No. Plans to make us the people that we're supposed to be. Because understand, the, the, the exile to Babylon, all that was, that was not God's lightning bolt of judgment. That was God's discipline. God knew that the only way to get the people's attention was failure. The only way to get the people's attention was to take them completely out of what they thought by right was theirs and say, now... You've got nothing. You don't have the temple. You don't have the ark. You don't have a king. You don't have any more prophets. Well, they had some over there. Ezekiel was one who prophesied in Babylon. But you don't have what you used to have. Now, are you going to listen to me? Success is not guaranteed, but we're guaranteed not to fail. If we are obedient, then nothing else matters. That's all we have to do, is be obedient. And if we aren't obedient, well, that's when bad things start happening. And here's what's funny, but not funny, ha-ha. When bad things happen, and we've been doing what we know we've been told to do, what's our first response? We weren't supposed to do that. We were wrong. That's what they did to Jeremiah. Jeremiah would tell them, bad things are going to happen, and then something good would happen. And the people would say, ha ha, Jeremiah, something good happened, so you were wrong, we were right. And Jeremiah would say, no, no, God's right, and you're wrong. Then something bad would happen, and they'd blame him. It's your fault, Jeremiah. No, no, it's, it's yours. I wish, I wanted to have this really happy ending to the story here. But Jeremiah, toward the end, right after Babylon, or Judah fell, Jerusalem fell, there were some people that, that literally took him by force, took him to Egypt. He may have written some things while there, and then he falls off the map. We don't hear how he died. We don't hear if he ever got to go back to Jerusalem. We don't hear anything about him. What we hear in the midst of all of these apparent failures, for I know the plans I have for you, 
This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your welfare, not for disaster. To give you a future and a hope. That's the Jeremiah we hear. You may look at your history and say, there have been too many failures. I've done it wrong too many times. I know the plans I have for you to give you a future and a hope. But God, what if we do what you tell us to do and it doesn't work out? And we don't see the results that we think we should see. I know the plans I have for you to give you a future and a hope. But God, what if they kill us? What if they ridicule us? What if we run some people off? What if, what if we just can't do it? Or, or we don't do it well enough? Or this gets in the way, or that gets in the way. And he comes back through the words of the weeping prophet and says, I know the plans I have for you to give you a future and a hope. See, Jeremiah's ending may or may not have been that happy. It doesn't appear that it was too great. But we know our ending. We know Jeremiah's ending. We know his faithfulness to God and that he received his reward. Regardless of how we believe it should go, we must be obedient to the word of the Lord and we move forward knowing that our reward is in heaven. Our reward is not this life. If we get good things now, that's God saying, here's some showers, here's a blessing here. That's not the reward. The reward is heaven. Because God knows the plans he has for us. Plans to give us a future and a hope. The only guaranteed success, strike down everything else. I mean, mark it all out and wipe your memory banks because the only known success is through Jesus Christ. The only success that you are guaranteed to have is that if you give your heart to Jesus, He will save you. Success, immediate guaranteed forever and ever for all of eternity. That's the success we are guaranteed. That's the only success we are guaranteed. The only hope, the only future, is with Jesus Christ. So how do we do that? A, B, C, we admit we're a sinner. We have broken God's law. B, we believe that Jesus is who he says he is. That he died on the cross that he rose again three days later on the cross, taking our sin and punishment, rising from the grave to show us what the result of that is, that we would have eternal life. We have that hope and we have that future. And then we confess with our mouths, Jesus Christ is Lord, with our actions, just like Corrine did this morning in the baptistry, telling people, yes, I am a follower of Jesus. A six-year-old girl telling the world, six, right? Eight-year-old girl telling the world, I will follow Jesus. Follow her example. And let's follow Jesus and know the true success in life. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we don't look for success in our bank account. 
we don't look for success in numbers. God, we don't look for success anywhere but in obedience to you. God, you make it rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You send the sun to the, to the righteous and the unrighteous. It's called life. But God, we know that you have a plan for us, a plan of a, of a good future and a plan of hope. And we pray that we will be so committed to you that we will not look for successes, but we will merely look for opportunities to be obedient. And God, we put the rest of it in your hands, knowing that we have won the victory. Lord, if there is someone here that does not know you as Savior, I pray today is their day, that they will trust you. They would hear these words, see these words, they would know their sinfulness. They would believe in the salvation that you offer. And today they would confess that you are Lord. Lord, move through this place during this time of invitation. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, a successful life is just obedience. So how do you need to be obedient? Do you need to come forward this morning during our invitation? Accept Christ? Is God working on your heart? Maybe... You, need to just, you just want to talk about it. Fill out a, a connection card there in the pew. Let me know. Come after the service. I don't have to eat lunch. Come talk to me. Let's work on this. Let's, let's go through it. I want you to know before you leave here that you have trusted Christ as your Savior. Maybe, maybe you need to be baptized. You've trusted Christ as your Savior, but you need to follow Corrine up there, and you want to be baptized. Come do it. We can do it every Sunday. I'd be more than happy. Maybe you need to join our church. You've been coming for a while, but you want to become a member of our church. Come forward. Let's do that. Join our church. Be a part of what we're doing here. Be involved. Maybe you're a church member, and you just need to be more involved. You're hit or miss. Come when it's convenient, but not anymore. God's calling you to be a vital part of this congregation and what we're doing in Nixon and the world. Come as God leads you this morning.